Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Um, let me sit down here. We're doing a series during Lent where, about prayer, when Jesus talking about prayer. And if you read the Gospels, you realize Jesus prayed a lot. And if we are going to be Jesus-shaped people, the term that we used a few, a few weeks ago, then it be, we would also be people who would pray a lot. Sometimes Jesus went off, and Jesus went off by himself and prayed. Sometimes he took his disciples with him, one or more of them disciples, to pray. So he, but he prayed a lot. Um, prayer, so we're talking about prayer, and, and so the first thing is, when do you pray? Well, the answer is all the time, if you're following Jesus. We always are praying. Um, and then you say, well, what does prayer look like? What does it consist of? What are the elements? It's a conversation with God and um, takes many forms. Now, last week, Dan talked about the, and he used the acronym CATS to talk about confession, adoration, thanksgiving, and supplication. I learned it the same four terms, but I learned it as ACTS, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And look, normally, I mean, Dan went to school for this. He knows about these kinds of things. So I would defer to him on all these important spiritual issues. But I will just point out that there is a book of the Bible called the Acts of the Apostles. There is not a corresponding book called the Cats of the Apostles. And in fact, I'm not even sure what that would exactly look like. Just saying. But if you think about your conversations with people close to you, people you care about, people you love, all of these same things are there. You tell them how much you appreciate them, how much you like them, how much you enjoy being with them. Well, that's adoration. You talk about things you've done wrong. You make apologies. You say, oh, I didn't, I'm sorry, I didn't do that right. That's confession. You thank them for things, big things, little things, so on. Oh, thanks for, thanks for this, all right? You ask them for things. When you go to the store, could you pick up this? That's supplication. All of those elements and of prayer, they're not special prayer elements. They're just normal conversation elements that we include in our prayers. And so we've talked about the fact that we should pray at all times and pray in every situation. Jesus did. We talked about the various elements. But what's our attitude when we pray? What should be, how should we approach God? What's the attitude that we should have? And that's today's topic. Now, as I'm preparing these, these messages, I always talk to a lot of people, or people, other people, about, you know, what would you like me to say? How do you read this passage? How do you understand this? Because I, you know, and in this particular one, I was talking to John Lindbergh, and I was talking to John Lindbergh suggested, why don't you talk about Brother Lawrence? And I thought, huh. So I then re reworked it all, and I thought, I should talk about Brother Lawrence. So maybe you know about Brother Lawrence. It doesn't matter whether you do or not, I'm going to tell you anyway. So whether you know or don't know, I'm still going to tell you. So, all right. So Brother, in the, six, in the 1700s, in the 1600s, in the 17th century, Brother, there was a, he was a soldier, a peasant in the French army who was badly wounded in one of the battles. And for the rest of his life, 
um, he suffered chronic pain. Um, during his recuperation, his recovery period, he was being ministered to by some of the monks. And he had an experience of the presence of God. And he said, I need to go work. I need to be in the presence of God. So he went to work in the monastery, the nearby monastery. He had no theological training, no doctrinal training, no, none, of, none of the background. So he went to work in the kitchen. He, he worked in the kitchen for a long time, washing pots and pans, making dinner, the routine things of the, that the monastery needed, that the brothers who were doing the, you, what you would think of as the spiritual heavy lifting were, you know, he was doing, he was doing dishes. When, he, when the pain got too great and he aged and he couldn't stand for a long period of time, he switched and he began repairing their sandals. So that's what he did. That's what he did his whole life, was the routine stuff to allow the ministry of the, the brothers to go on. But what he was known for was finding the presence of God in all of these routine activities. Whatever he was doing, he knew God was present with him. And, and his experience of the presence of God was notable, so much so that after he died, some of the monks... Um, one of the monks in particular, gathered together some of the sayings of, of Brother Lawrence. He took the name Brother Lawrence when he went to the monastery, so I didn't say that. Um, yeah, uh, collected some of his things that he had said, conversations they'd have, a few of the letters he'd written. He hadn't written that much. And they collected it together in a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. The Practice of the Presence of God. This is a classic of the Christian faith. Um, when I got my Kindle years ago, it was one of the free books I downloaded. So you can get it as a download. You can find it online. There are new editions that come out every few, every few years, new translations. If you're not familiar with it, you should read the book, for sure. As I say, you can download it. You can get it for free online, I think. You can find inexpensive paperback versions or... I thought a couple of days ago, I thought, I, wonder, I bet it's available as an audio book. So I went on Audible, 16 different copies of it, 16 different narrators. So you could have a lot of choices for listening to the presence of the, the power, the, present, the practice of the presence of God. Interestingly, the whole book, it's a pamphlet. The whole narration is an hour and a half. I listened to two baseball podcasts this week that were longer than an hour and a half. So if you, you don't need a lot of time to listen to this, it's one you could listen to if you like audible books um, over a period of time. You could read over a period of time. It's not a huge investment, but you definitely should do it if you're not familiar with the book. The King County Library has um, different versions of it. They have but they all have multiple holds. They have audible books, they have you know, large print, they have books, they have e-books um, of it. They're all multiple holds. So if you, wanna, if you wanna get it soon, you're gonna have to compete with all the other people at Cascade Covenant to get it, to put a hold on it. Or you can just go online and get it. Um, or if you have an audible subscription, you can get it. But I definitely recommend it. Let me just give you a couple of quotes from it. So the first one, if I can have the first slide. 
Brother Lawrence, our attitude about prayer. Prayer is nothing else than a sense of God's presence. You know, we have, we talk about things like God's stories or we've talked about kairos, circles, and so on. They're just all about God's presence. Knowing God is present. Brother Lawrence was notable for this. Or there is no greater lifestyle and no greater happiness than that of having a continual conversation with God. That's what he did when he was working in the monastery. Okay, so let me turn to the passage that we're talking about this week. If I could have the next slide. We're reading this from the section from the book of Luke. Let me pull it up here and get it ready. I always have to tell it. I don't know. I don't want to do this. No, I don't want to do this. So let me just. Uh, no, I don't need to update Google right now. All right. All right. Let's see. So in this section of the book of Luke, this is a travelogue section, so to speak. Jesus and his disciples are walking from Galilee to Jerusalem. And where they're going to take the Passover at Jerusalem. As, and this was, of course, right before he was, right as he was crucified, too. Um, and so they were on a pilgrimage. You know, we think about, about Advent, we talk about anticipation, expectation, and so on. Lent, the season we're in, is about a pilgrimage. It's about a journey to a destination, a spiritual destination. So they are literally on a pilgrimage to this, this section of Luke, to Jerusalem. And as they go, they encounter various people in various situations and various things. And Jesus talks to his disciples and the people around as he goes. They're what we think of as teachable moments. It's just teachable moments. He's just going along, teaching them, talking to them as he goes. All right. So, let's read it. Starting in verse 9. He also told this parable to some... Well, let me switch to a different translation. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you the truth, Jesus said. I tell you the truth. This man, rather than the other, went home justified or made right before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humble and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So let's put ourselves in the story. Which, which of these two characters, the Pharisee or the tax collector, sort of comes closer to who you are or what you're like or what I'm like? And to do that, let's talk about what Israel was like. Israel during the first century, during this time, was a Roman colony. And from Rome's point of view, they're a particularly troublesome Roman colony. There were always uprisings. In fact, even as Jesus is speaking, there was a guy named Barabbas 
who was, who was, we would call him a domestic terrorist, or Rome would call him a domestic terrorist, the Jews would probably call him a, a Jewish nationalist. He was trying, he was, you know, we know that because he was arrested and sentenced to die. So there were constant, these uprisings. And so Rome was always, so they, were, they were very much present in Israel. There were soldiers walking through the streets. They, and they taxed their people. If you think about Rome and the Roman Empire, if you do, you think about things like aqueducts and roads and the Roman Colosseum and so on. And, you, and later on, you think about the wall in, in, in England, um, Hadrian's Wall, all those things. Did you ever ask yourself, how did Rome get the money to build these things? They taxed. They taxed everything, and they taxed everyone. Taxation was a really heavy burden. No one likes taxes. No one likes paying taxes. No one likes tax collectors particularly. But for, for the Jews, tax collectors were really despicable. They were, um, I can kind of go over it. They were despicable. First off, they were collaborators with the Roman government. So with the enemy, the occupying army, so every time they would see a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector, they were reminded, we are not a free country. We are not a free and independent people. These people only have their jobs because we're under Roman rule. So they, weren't, they were not well loved. And second, many tax collectors weren't honest. They, it was easy for them, in fact, even expected that they would skim off some of the money, that they would overtax and take some of the money. They would not forward all of it to Rome. So they would get, it was a system that allowed them to exploit, the, they could exploit the system for their own personal gain. The more Israel suffered under taxation, the more tax collectors could benefit from it. They could profit at the misery of their own people. They could grow rich at, their own, at the misery of their own people. If you were to talk to a Jewish youth of the day, I, I don't know if they had these conversations, but anyway, and say, what do you want to be when you grow up? I can't imagine any of them said, you know, I want to be a tax collector. It'd be like asking somebody now, and I say, well, I want to run an internet scam that bilks innocent people out of, the, of their life savings. You know, nobody aspires to that. In order to become a tax collector, they, these people, these men, had probably made a whole series of moral and ethical compromises for their own gain. Nobody likes tax collectors. They were really, they were really despised. The Pharisee, on the other hand, they were much admired by the everyday Jew. They may not have liked them very much, but they were, they were really admired. They knew the scriptures. They really wanted to please God. They believed that God had established the Jewish people as his own special people. That he had given them the law to show them what sort of values they should have in their society, how they should behave, what kind of people they should be like, how they should treat one another, how they should respond to God. The Pharisees followed the law. 
Originally, they followed it because it had been given to them by God in order to have a, a special relationship with him. They sort of lost their way along, along the way. But some Pharisees became followers of Christ. Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, those where Jesus was buried, some others. Those were Pharisees that became followers of Christ. Some tax collectors became followers of Christ. Matthew was a tax collector. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. But why didn't more Pharisees become followers of Christ? Well, the parable illustrates the problem. Both men came to the temple to pray. They were doing a, an acceptable, even desired, religious practice. They were doing what the religious people do. They came to pray. Both of them stood apart from other people in the temple. The temple was crowded, a lot of people were wandering around, a lot of you know, stuff going on. They both stood apart in Jesus' parable. But they did that for, that's, that's the only similarities between them. They both came to the temple, they both stood apart from everybody else. They stood apart for different reasons. The Pharisee stood apart because he didn't want to be associated with these other people. He was not one of them. We, yesterday we went to see the, the movie, um, what's it called? The Jesus, the, the Jesus Revolution, about the rise of the Jesus people in the early 70s. And it, it's, I recommend it. Um, the, but there's a section where all these hippies come into this very staid church. And the people who are there are very unhappy that the hippies are there. And the hippies are sitting over here, and the other people are sitting over here. All right, uh, more or less a true story. Um, anyway, so they stood far apart, and he, he addresses them, he says, they're robbers. There's a, ten, there's a commandment about that. One of the Ten Commandments is don't steal. Well, they had broken that commandment. They're evildoers, or more generally, they're just crooks. What, you know, we're not sure what they're guilty of, but they're guilty of something. Uh, they're adulterers. Again, they broke one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. All right? So, what kind of a prayer is this? Well, Thanksgiving, right? I thank you, Lord, that I am not. But it's not Thanksgiving. He's boasting. He's boasting before God. He's not giving thanks to God for what God has done. He's telling God, this is what I've done for you. This is what I've done. He made sure to tell God about his religious devotion, as if God wouldn't otherwise have known this. Um, his underlying attitude about God was this. Here's what I've done. So you should be doing something for me. You owe me. Because I... I uh, I'm quoting Brother Lawrence, uh, and I know in some context people would be bothered by the fact that I'm using a, a Catholic reference. So let me tell you what Martin Luther had to say about this passage. So, so in order to counter the counter-reformation, we're going to go to Martin Luther on this passage. All right, so let's go to the next slide. This is how Martin Luther paraphrased this and commented on this Pharisee's prayer. 
This is brutal. I thank you, God, that I am so holy and good that I never need your grace. But I find so much in myself that I have kept the law because I have found so much in myself that I have kept the law. You cannot accuse me of anything. And I have deserved so much that you, have, you are bound to repay and reward me again for it, both in this time and in eternity, if you would keep your honor and be a just and truthful God. I've done so much for you. Here's what you need to do for me. Spiritual pride like this, thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to do, underlies so much of our sin. Maybe most of our sin, for at least for people who have the religious practices down pat, who know how we should, what we should do, people like me. The Pharisee didn't break the commandment about robbery. He didn't break the commandment about adultery. How about this one? You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. All the other ones come after that. You shall have no other gods instead of me. Who's his God? Who does he want to have glory drawn to? Who does he want to have the honor? Well, it's himself. He's broken that commandment, so it doesn't really matter if he keeps the others because he's broken the one that underlies all of the rest of them. Go back to the idea that this is a pilgrimage and this is a season of pilgrimage and that they're on a pilgrimage. How does the Pharisee see this? He's not on a pilgrimage at all. He's already arrived. Why would he be on a pilgrimage? He's already where he wants to be. He doesn't see any need for this. Contrast that with the tax collector. The tax collector stands far off because he assumes the other people don't want anything to do with him. Probably rightly. He assumes he's not worthy to be with these other people. He does not tell God what he deserves, like the Pharisee does, but rather he asks God to, tell, to, to give him what he does not deserve, namely mercy. This is a prayer of authentic confession. This is an authentic prayer before God. In the way Jesus presents it, it's a confession. He doesn't, the tax collector doesn't enumerate his sins. He doesn't say, well, you know, I built this person, I cheated this person, I failed to, you know. He doesn't, he doesn't have to. God knows those. We sometimes think of confession as listing all of our sins before God, but I don't think that's exactly necessary all the time because God knows them better than we do. Rather, what he confesses is, I just live a sinful life. My whole life is contaminated by sin. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness for my whole life. He realizes that this is a pilgrimage, that it is a spiritual journey, and that maybe he's just starting it, maybe he's far along. No matter where he is, he realizes he still has a long way to go and he has not yet arrived. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The, Pharisee, uh, the tax collector would not have known that verse, 
but he was trusting that God would behave that way, and God does. So which of those attitudes is closer to the way you pray or I pray? Well, you'd like to say it's like I'm like the tax collector. But what I realized as I worked on this and talked about it and thought about it, there's an awful lot of Pharisee in me. There's an awful lot of Pharisee in me. Even yesterday, we were talking about something, and I thought, and I thought yeah, I'm not like those people. <laughs> and then I went back and said to Deb, you know, those people were created in the image of God. How can I say I'm not like those people? So even though I'm working on the sermon and I have the theme and I know what I'm going to say and I'm, a, I'm, I'm still a Pharisee. There's still a lot of Pharisee in me. And I suspect that maybe I'm not the only one. How then should we come to God in prayer? Authentic prayer is being humble before God. I'll give you one thing that I have done in the past as an authentic prayer practice. It works really well. I, I'm not doing it right now, and I probably should go back to it. When I sit down with God, I will use Psalm 139. I'll begin to pray through Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is about God's relentless love for us. British Christians in the Victorian era, some of them referred to it as the, the Hound of Heaven psalm. It's about, we sing a song that says, you're never going to let me go. It's the same idea. It's about God's relentless love for us and how he knows every part of us and loves us. So when I prayed this, I thought I invented it. And then I realized Christians have been doing this for centuries. But I thought I'd invented the idea that you would pray through Psalm 139. Shows you the Pharisee in me. It starts out like this. O oh God, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. And what I would do in these good seasons of prayer when I, you know, when I was practicing this way was I would just start and say, God, you have, the pictures in this psalm are amazing. You have searched me and you've known me. You know what the picture is? Have you ever sifted anything? Sifted, yeah, you know what sifting is like. You've got, you've got a screen and you put things on it and you sift and sift and sift. All right? That's the term. You've searched me and you know me. You've sifted through me. And I, would, I could sit before God and say, God, sift through my day or sift through yesterday. And I would say, oh, there's a lump right there. That needs to be broken up. Oh, there's another lump. I should never have spoken to that person that way. I should never have thought about that person that way. Many times when I would do this, I wouldn't get past the first couple verses because once God started sifting, I thought, boy, my life is really lumpy. There's a lot of lumps in there that need to be broken up. And I was always amazed, still amazed, at God's tenderness and love in how he broke those up. There's no guilt here. Christ paid, this, paid the price. There's no guilt 
there's the tenderness in trying to practice the presence of God. So let me just end with one more quote from Brother Lawrence. And I'll remind you, as I say this, that Brother Lawrence was in a monastery. In the monasteries, they have they pray this at 6 a.m., this at 9 a.m., this at noon, this at the you know, They have a very disciplined prayer schedule. They sing this kind of a song at this time, and so on and so on and so on. So when he's talking about prayer practices, he's got you know, prayer practices. All right, if I can have the last slide. Here's what he says. I've abandoned all particular forms of devotion, all prayer techniques. Yeah, that's something. Yeah, abandon all prayer techniques. My only prayer practice is paying attention. I carry on a habitual, silent, and secret conversation with God that fills me with an overwhelming joy. When I read Brother Lawrence like this, I, I can't even aspire to it. He's on a different plane altogether. But I can imagine aspiring to it. If we are to be as we should be, the people of God, if the church is the people of God and not something we go to, this has to be, I think this needs to be part of our practice. To pay attention to God in prayer. Let me pray. Lord, even as I say this and pray this, it takes no time at all for me to recognize my, my shortcomings here, all these lumps that should be sifted out. And I thank you that you are gentle and kind and loving and that you are present with us, that we don't... That our primary practice of prayer, and there are many good ones, but primary practice is simply paying attention to you. Thank you for this. Thank you for these people. Thank you for your church. In the name of Christ, amen.